Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And I'd like you to take a moment to just try and create, try and imagine the most destructive disease possible. Imagine a disease that ravages the body, that ravages just about every tissue, every every part of the human form, that uh, that takes down the sex organs, that uh, takes apart the face, takes apart your identity, and in some cases ultimately robs you of your mind as well before killing you outright. Yeah, you mentioned sex organs, so also imagine that there's a moral dimension to this disease that would give you the sort of outward appearance that perhaps you had been engaging in conduct unbecoming to you. Yes, and of course in all of this we are talking about a very real illness, and that is syphilis. We're actually going to devote two whole episodes to syphilis here. This first episode, Syphilis the Great Imitator, is mainly going to focus on the uh, organism that causes syphilis and how syphilis manifests itself in the human body. In the second episode, we are going to get into the cultural and historical impact of syphilis because that that in its own right is an enormous topic of interest because for four and a half centuries, syphilis ravages the old world, ravages Western culture. And it's it's really kind of difficult to overstate the the role that syphilis played in, in coloring uh, Western civilization during that time. Yeah, so don't run away because this is all really interesting. The, the bacterium itself is fascinating. And then, of course, the, the cultural implications. Now, we had our first recorded uh, epidemic of venereal syphilis occurring in Europe in 1495. And by the close of the 15th century... You have chaos just reigning in Naples, Italy, where there's a huge outbreak. In fact, uh, Pope Innocent VIII asked French King Charles VIII to invade the city with troops to try to keep it under control. But what do you think happens? Well, as we would as we would eventually learn, sending troops in to deal with syphilis, not the best strategy. Because because they're going to end up catching the syphilis, and then when you draw the troops out, they're going to take the syphilis elsewhere. Exactly. And the problem here is that syphilis has been known as the great imitator because it has all these different symptoms that at the outset might be mistaken for other illnesses. So imagine this time period in which this was happening and people not quite knowing what they were dealing with. Yeah, to quote uh, Sir William Osler, he says, No syphilis in all its manifestations and relations and all other things clinical will be added to you. There is no organ in the body nor any tissue in the organs which syphilis does not invade, and it is therefore manifestly difficult to speak, at least at all concisely, of the pathology of the disease, just as, as it is almost impossible to describe its clinical symptoms without mentioning almost every symptom of every known disease. And these symptoms are not going to be the same from one person to the next. Mm-hmm. So you have a disease that is that is seemingly very stealthy, very nefarious. It's uh, it's it's changing its shape, it's changing its strategy, it's going dormant, it's popping back up, and uh, and the whole time everyone's trying to understand what's going on, how to prevent it. Uh, again, there is this, there's this this whole seemingly moral side to it because it's spread through sexual contact, and it ends up spreading across every social uh, level in society. Uh, it's it's a disease that ravages the poor, it ravages the rich, it's hitting the royalty, it's hitting the clergy, it's hitting anyone who's engaging in sexual contact. Which is everyone, right? Yeah. 
And in fact, it is so prevalent that uh, you get a couple of references to it in Shakespeare's works, like Pox of Your Houses and Romeo and Juliet, which is now a curse, like a pox yeah. on you. The pox, um, yeah. It's, but the problem with this is that we tend to think of it as this antiquated illness, right? It is not, in fact, the Centers for Disease Control estimate that annually more than 55,000 people in the U.S. get new syphilis infections. And during 2012, there were more than 49,000 reported new cases of syphilis compared to 48,000 estimated new diagnoses of HIV. So it is still present and it is most common in people between the ages of 20 and 29 years of age, which has led it to be called Cupid's disease, by the way. Yeah, and of course, one other way we should mention that it, uh, you can uh, transfer syphilis is through an unborn child, and so con- uh, congenital syphilis, which we'll uh, we'll talk about a little bit more later, that's also a huge problem because when the syphilis uh, manifests in a newborn child, uh, the the uh, the effects are are can can be pretty disastrous. So once again, syphilis, even though it is of tremendous interest from a historical standpoint, it is not a purely historical disease. No, we just don't uh, put as much emphasis on it these days in in terms of infectious diseases because it can be controlled by penicillin, and we'll talk about that later. Yes, yes, it can be wiped out by penicillin, and and, and that has been a a huge advantage in the war against syphilis for sure. But still, it is uh, is an adversary that that carries on, even in the advent of uh, what would seem a magic bullet. Yeah, and let's talk about this dastardly organism, also known as Treponema pallidum. Yes, uh, treponema pallidum, which is a treponemal disease. There are other treponemal diseases, which we'll uh, get into. Uh, these include uh, bejul, uh, penta, and yaws. None of these, of course, are sexually transmitted, but they are uh, essentially skin ailments that are uh, that are transferred by skin-to-skin contact. Yes, so they are related to treponema pallidum, but they themselves, as you say, are not spread through sexual contact. And, uh, and I should add, to, to be clear, uh, if you want to get really particular, syphilis is caused by um, a subspecies of Treponema pallidum, essentially Treponema pallidum pallidum. But for all intents and, and references uh, going forward, Treponema pallidum, T. pallidum, syphilis, uh, you'll know what we're talking about. Yeah. Now, this is a spiral-shaped bacterium, also known as a spirochete, and uh, we're talking about slender, spirally undulating bacteria here. And again, it is uh, most often spread by sexual contact. And the disease occurs in three primary stages. We'll talk more about that. And uh, now these these later stages that we'll discuss are not so common in our modern era. Right, yeah, because uh, the later stages obviously deal with a case of syphilis that has not been treated, not been cured uh, with uh, penicillin. All right, well, let's let's start uh, with transmission. And I'd like to sort of re- encourage you to think uh, throughout this with an invasion. Uh, sorry. All right, well, let's, let's uh, talk about how syphilis is transmitted. And I'd like you to think about this uh, in terms of an invasion, because that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're dealing with an invasion of these spirochetes into the human body. And this invasion uh, takes place in a few different phases. So syphilis can be spread, again, by uh, through, through the birth placenta, by kissing, close contact, um, transfusion of fresh human blood. But the main ways that it's, uh, that it's spreading is through sexual contact. We're talking um, vaginal sex, oral sex, anal sex. Um, all of these will serve as as, a, as an entry point. Now, 
the way that the spirochetes enter the body, they, they enter through the skin. And when intimate contact of this nature is made, that is when, when the spirochete enters the body, enters through the skin. And there it will hang out until it makes itself known in the form of a syphilitic sore, also known as a chancre. And chancres occur mainly on external genitals, the vagina, anus, or in the rectum. They can also occur on the lips and in the mouth. So this is when you see most of the transmission occur among people, when these sores are present. Right. This is primary syphilis. This is first-stage syphilis. And think of this in terms of the enemy initially getting into the fortress. This is the, the shanker is literally the entry point for the, uh, for the spirochetes. And it may be a small number of spirochetes, it may be a larger number of spirochetes, but this is where they're getting in. This is the hole in the fortress wall. Yeah, and these shankers can appear usually around 21 days after infection, but sometimes as little as 10 or even 90 days. Yeah, and they may hang around for three to six weeks. And here's the thing. They can, if you look up pictures uh, online, and, and sure, you should definitely go and do a Google image search for, for what these look like. Gird um, your loins. Gird your loins. Uh, but they may look uh, pretty intense at times, but these are painless, uh, and they're easily confused with any number of small skin ailments that may uh, pop up in even a healthy person's life. You know, the stuff like uh, ingrown hairs or, uh, or, you know, or, or various other bumps uh, that may be caused by, by any number of other uh, ailments. Again, it's the great uh, imitator. Right. Now, if you do not get treated at this point, well, then it gets into secondary syphilis. And during this stage, that's when you see those skin rashes, sores and, in your mouth. And so that's the primary stage. And, the, and it's key to note here that the shanker disappears. It vanishes. So if you were concerned about it, if you were like, I wonder what this painless, uh, you know, ugly spot on my genitals is, well, then it goes away. And that's one of the dangers that we see uh, uh, over and over again with syphilis is that the, the infection seems to go away. The illness may seem to go away, but uh, as we're about to learn, it does not. And again, imagine yourself in, you know, the 15th century if you have this and then that disappears. You think, oh, everything is fine. Yeah. Right? Ooh, so, I got, I was upset over, over nothing. Ingrown maybe, hair. And, you know, maybe you didn't even notice. It's, it's entirely likely that one wouldn't even notice that uh, the shanker had popped up. Now, most likely you wouldn't have been treated at that point in time because there wasn't anything necessarily to treat you with that was really effective. So it would then develop into a secondary stage called secondary syphilis, in which you would have skin rashes and or sores in your mouth, vagina, and anus, also called mucous membrane lesions. Yeah, and you may also see other varying symptoms, such as fever, uh, lethargy, headaches, uh, general body aches, uh, hair loss. And this is the point in the invasion in which the enemy... The enemy made it in in the primary stage, and in secondary syphilis, the enemy has spread throughout the castle, all right, and and is making itself known throughout uh, the invaded city that is the human body. Right, and you are highly contagious at this point. In fact, genital sores caused by syphilis make it a lot easier to transmit and acquire things like HIV infection, right? So you can get a secondary infection at this point. In fact, there is an estimated two to five fold increased risk of acquiring HIV if you're exposed to infection uh, when syphilis is present in these first and second stages. Now, at this point, after secondary syphilis, and here again, we see that the secondary syphilis, this outbreak uh, period, this goes away as well. 
which again could lead someone to say, well, that was horrible, and maybe they may not even realize that it was connected to the primaries uh, outbreak, and they they might, but they can easily imagine, well, I'm done with this now. It's 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 done. It's finished. Whatever illness was affecting me, the pox has left me. Right. Yeah, but little do they know that this is just the latent uh, stage of this, and. It's just waiting around. It might not even reveal itself for decades. Yeah, so imagine the enemy has invaded the the castle. They've made a lot of mischief, and then suddenly they seem to be gone. But they're not gone. They're in the basement. They, they're in the basement. They're in they're in every house in the city. They're they've literally become a part of the city. They're essentially a sleeper cell, uh, and that is what uh, latent syphilis is. Tertiary syphilis. The stage really is quite gruesome because it kind of takes everything in the body down to the studs or more so I should say it's like you say the sleeper cells in the basement they become stronger and they come roaring back into the body and they cause a lot of havoc yeah it's I mean we see this over and over again with with syphilis but it has such metaphorical power is one of the reasons that I, I think we're aside from its uh, its power to harm and disfigure us uh, the reason we're drawn to it, so is you do see this idea of of the the infection. It flared up, then it flared up again, and then it comes back in only fifteen to thirty percent of the cases, uh, a much stronger form in the mm-hmm. tertiary stage, uh, far more debilitating, far more destructive, and ultimately lethal stage of the illness. Yeah, in this late stage, uh, you could have symptoms that include difficulty coordinating your muscle movements, paralysis, not being able to move some of your body, uh, numbness, blindness, and dementia. And then in the late, late stages, the disease begins to ravage your internal organs, and that is what can result in death. And this is one of the remarkable things about this is that this stage can occur 10 to 20 years after primary syphilis. Mm-hmm. So this is, it's, again, the metaphorical power of this. It's like the, the sins of the young individual coming back to destroy the older individual, you know? It's, um, it's, it's gruesome stuff. <laughs> and, 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 and again, so one may not even remember that first outbreak all that clearly. And yeah. then suddenly all these changes are happening to their body and ultimately to their mind. Yeah, and we have largely up until this point uh, treated this in a very clinical fashion and, and not really talked about the sights and the sounds and the smells of what this looks like, mm-hmm. which we'll do more in the next podcast. But just know that at this point, um, this 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 is really adding injury to insult because you might have lost your nose, you know, and recovered from that. And, and all of a sudden you think you're out in the clear and boom, it comes back. In, in such a corrosive manner that you find out that this is really the death knell. Yeah, corrosive is an excellent term to use because you see the um, you see uh, loss of teeth, you see the destruction of the palate and the mouth, you see um, you see the 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 collapse of the nose into uh, what is known as saddle nose, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, basically the nose uh, you know, collapses in around the bridge and becomes kind of upturned and smaller looking, uh, and then may eventually. Um, appear to rot entirely. Uh, saddle nose is also caused, uh, can also be caused by just damage to the nose. You'll yeah. see boxers that suffer from saddle nose. Also, uh, 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 extreme cocaine addiction uh, can somehow sometimes have that effect on individuals. But yeah, you're seeing it attack your facial features. You're seeing it attack uh, uh, your genitals uh, in a very uh, destructive manner. And then also getting into your organs. You're, you know, again, to back to the quote that I read at the beginning of the podcast by uh, uh, Dr. William Osler, it, it, the, the spirochetes of uh, syphilis 
attack every part of the body. Like nothing is off limits. To go back to that castle analogy from from earlier, the uh, the invader has lived in the city for ten to twenty years, and now in potentially every household in the city has decided to just burn everything to the ground. Right. Now, the other part of this is that uh, syphilis, as we have mentioned before, can be transmitted through the placenta. So what does this mean? It means that during that time period, from the 15th century to the 20th century, there are a lot of children born with syphilis, also called congenital syphilis. And even to this day, uh, according to the World Health Organization, you have a million children born uh, annually with congenital syphilis. Yeah, and it's very serious stuff because nearly half of all children infected with syphilis while they're in the womb die shortly before or after birth. And sometimes this can also result in stillborns. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite the fact that syphilis can be cured with antibiotics, if caught early, there are rising rates among pregnant women in the United States and that, of course, has increased the number of infants born with this. Now, some of the complications include blindness, deafness, deformity of the face, and nervous system problems. Now, why does syphilis hang out in the body so long, you might be wondering? Well, uh, it's a, it may be due in part to uh, T. pallidum having a slow dividing time of 30 to 33 hours. And it's likely that T. pallidum undergoes an even slower rate of division during the latent stages of the disease. So... It's, uh, it's, it's a long-living uh, creature uh, from a bacterial standpoint. Yeah, so it's like a bacterial crockpot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's talk about the current state of treatment in infections. Oh, but I say current. I have to mention that there are a couple old-timey ways in which there are thought to be cures for it, uh, one of which is mercury. Yes, mercury. Yes, inhaling mercury vapor. In fact... There is, this was so common for hundreds of years that a, a little phrase came out of that, a night with Venus, a lifetime with Mercury. Yeah, so you would find yourself uh, going regularly for essentially skin treatments, taking these these mercury steam baths, mm-hmm. and and enduring the harmful effects of that of that mercury inhalation on top of the ravages of syphilis. It did kill the spirochete, but yes, it also poisoned the patient. Yeah, well, there are a few different yeah, factors involved there because on one hand. Uh, there, you know, there are arguments to what effect the mercury had in killing the spirochetes, but then the spirochetes are so entrenched in the body, yeah. what can you do? Also, uh, again, think about that, that primary and secondary stage, the flare-ups and the disappearance. You have individuals that could go into to be treated for, for their symptoms of syphilis, and lo and behold, the symptoms vanish with the treatment. Not because of the treatment, but right. just because of the timing of the treatment. And ultimately, again, you're dealing with four and a half centuries in which there is no cure for this illness. So if someone's trying to sell you an illness, you're going to try and buy it. That's just how it goes. And, you know, if this disease is ravaging my body, if you tell me that mercury might help, then I'm probably going to try mercury. Sure, you're going to try anything at that point, including malaria, which is apparently <laughs> something that was discovered in 1917 by Julius Wagner Jarig to help halt some of the symptoms of syphilis, particularly neurosyphilis, that advanced stage in which you get psychosis and you get paralysis. And they found that if you induced a malarial fever in patients, well, that could help with the actual infection. You also saw the use of uh, so-called syphilization uh, treatments. This was where you would essentially try to uh, you know, inoculate the, the, the patient in the same way that you would uh, treat them for smallpox. Mm-hmm. Um, this didn't work 
Uh, so but, this is submitting yourself to the disease, right? Right, yeah, trying to, to build up, uh, you know, bodily immunity. Um, doesn't work. Uh, now, I've, I've read some mixed reports of how uh, experiments on rabbits uh, in the, uh, the modern age have potentially shown some possibility there, but you get into a situation where it would take so many uh, applications of syphilis and and we're talking about a rabbit, and it hasn't been studied enough, and you would yeah. certainly could not study it in humans. So, uh, so yeah. And then also, why study it when we have penicillin that can wipe it out? And sometimes it's diagnosed by testing fluid from a syphilis sore and looking for the spirochete via dark field microscopy. The name of that blood test, by the way, is the Wasserman blood test, uh, and it was developed in 1906, just to get everything in the timeline squared away there. So, as we had mentioned, syphilis can be treated with antibiotics. So, we're talking about penicillin, we're talking about G, benzatine, doxycycline, or tetracycline. And that's for patients who are usually allergic to penicillin. And the length of treatment depends on the extent of the infection and factors such as the person's overall health. So, let's say you didn't get uh, to it right away and you kind of get to the second or, or have a secondary phase of it, you would still have to deal with any sort of ill effects that you might have sustained at that point. All right, so at this point you might be wondering, what can I do to decrease my chances of of catching syphilis? Well, according to the CDC, there are basically two things you can do because there's no there's no vaccine for syphilis. We have a cure for syphilis, but then again, you get into the problem of detecting it, uh, knowing to report it, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even once you've treated syphilis, there's no undoing any damage that it's done. Um, so, number one, be a part of a long-term, mutually monogamous relationship with a partner who has been tested and has negative STD test results. And number two, use latex condoms the right way every time you have sex. Condoms prevent transmission of syphilis by preventing contact with a sore. Sometimes sores occur in areas not covered by a condom, however, and contact with these sores can still transmit syphilis. Because, again, it's about, uh, it, 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 it come, goes through the skin. It's not something that, that travels uh, through. Uh, the, the orifice. Now, this might surprise you, but the people who really need to hear this most besides 20 to 29-year-olds mm-hmm. are senior citizens. And yes, and this surprised me. This was some some, some interesting uh, material that you discovered. Yeah, we actually, uh, a while ago, we had someone from the CDC come and talk to us about STDs, not because our, our group needed a talking uh, to. but Because of the syphilis outbreak at work. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, but because every once in a while, we'll have, someone will come and, and sort of give us information, and, and um, it's always very interesting. And he had mentioned then that retirement communities, assisted living facilities, uh, these are all hotbeds for STDs. And this is in part because they are not practicing safe sex. And also you have to keep in mind that, um, that for a long time, perhaps many of, of the, uh, community members were in long-term relationships, but now they probably have lost a partner. And it's a very social community. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of sex going on with senior citizens in these communities. And numbers from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention show a rapid increase among older people. We're talking about between 2007 and 2011, chlamydia in- infections among Americans 65 and over increased by 31% and syphilis by 52%. Wow. See, I just had I had no idea. I I end up struggling to try and piece together like a timeline for a hypothetical uh, assisted living resident. 
of how they acquire the syphilis and then how and then how they end up passing it on to uh, multiple people in the facility. They just need to get the old posters, you know, from the <laughs> 1940s and put them back up. And we'll talk more about that in the next episode. Oh, but yeah. there were definite campaigns, uh, you know, trying to get some sort of awareness going with Americans about STDs. Indeed, yes, we'll get into all of that in our next episode uh, titled Syphilis Through the Ages. All right, so there you have it. Uh, a little introduction there to syphilis, to uh, treponema pallidum, to the spirochete, and uh, the, with what it does to the body as it uh, invades and then ses- sets up a residence and ultimately, in, in some cases, tears the body down. Uh, in our next episode, we will get into all the, the cultural aspects of this. Well, maybe not all of them, but some of the high points for sure. Uh, the history of the disease in Western culture, um, all of that. So do uh, check that episode out um, if you enjoyed this one. Uh, in the meantime, uh, be sure to hit up StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That is where you will find all of our podcast episodes, our blog posts, our videos, links out to our various social media accounts. And uh, and when you do check out the podcast page for this episode and the next syphilis episode, uh, I'll include some links to some cool resources about uh, syphilis, about the history of the illness, as well as links to various uh, blog posts that uh, we've put together that deal with the topic. So you can see some of these posters that we're talking about. You can see uh, some uh, images of, uh, of tertiary syphilis, etc. And after you visit StuffToBlowYourMind.com and percolate on all of this, no doubt you'll have some thoughts that you want to share with us. And you can do that. And uh, also I wanted to mention, if you have personal accounts of STDs that you want to share, um, be assured that we will not share your name, that we will keep this confidential. So you can send your missives to us about this stuff at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.